0: Well, welcome back to another edition of the Lights, Camera, Sports podcast, presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host, Mike Galchieri, and we have a very, very exciting guest here this week. We'll be talking to former Boston College head football coach, Tom O'Brien. It was a lively conversation. He talks about his career, his time at BC, and what he's up to right now. Also, he gives his thoughts on this year's current BC football team. So stick with us. First, I'd like to remind everybody, too, if you're a Boston College football fan, you should be a member of the largest fan club on the Boston College campus, the Boston College Gridiron Club. Go to bcfootballgridiron.com for more details and to sign up. Once again, that's bcfootballgridiron.com to sign up. All right, we'll first hear from Chestnut Hill Technologies and get right into the podcast with Tom O'Brien. Thanks so much for listening. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amage Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's Chestnut Hill Technologies. And we have a very special guest here this week. We have Boston College's all-time winningest coach, a record of 75-45, and 45, has an all-time career record of 115-80 to 80 overall. Please welcome former Boston College head coach and NC State head coach, Tom O'Brien to the podcast. Tom, thanks so much for the time.
1: Mike, happy to be here. That's a nice buildup.
0: <laughs> well no question about it i mean 75 and 45 that's that's a great great record at boston college
1: well you know we didn't start off so great but uh due the perseverance of a lot of good and a lot of good coaches and a lot of good kids we were able to get that uh the thing turned around in the right direction and certainly you know going to eight bowl games in the last eight years there certainly helped and and uh one thing about Boston College, if you can beat Notre Dame, that helps
0: a lot, too. <laughs> no question about it. You did a lot of that. Let's, Coach, let's backtrack, uh, take you back early on your life. You grew up in the Cincinnati area, uh, went to St. Xavier High School. BC fans know that well from all the great players that have come through there. Just talk about your life early on. Was football always your number one sport? Uh, no. When
1: I grew up with, you know... Back in those days, you played football, basketball, and baseball. Basically, that, that's what you did. That was the the year that you went through from the time I was old enough to, to do anything, You know, playing not whole baseball in Cincinnati and playing basketball for the grade school and then CYO and then playing football. So we played them all. Um, but one of the things that, you know, as you go along, sometimes you get a little better and you get a little more, well-known for for one sport or another, and I was able to end up being recruited by the Naval Academy. and They sent me to prep school in Washington, D.C., and then uh, went on to the Academy and, and played football at Navy and uh, graduated from Navy in 1971.
0: Yeah, talk about that time at Navy. and Just go back to your recruiting process. Were there other schools that you wanted to go? How did you settle on the Naval Academy? Well... When I grew up, being in Cincinnati,
1: um, we used to watch, my dad used to take us to, there was three Catholic, high, there were four Catholic high schools, and they played a doubleheader at the end of the year, every year, Elder, Xavier, Roger Bacon, and Purcell, and in those days, Purcell had a guy named Roger Stallback playing quarterback for him, Gotcha. and that was actually my diocese in high school, where I was supposed to go to school, because of the way they broke down the, the uh, Catholic grade schools in Cincinnati. Um, But my father had gone to Xavier. Uh, His his boys were gonna go to Xavier. Uh, Much to my chagrin, I had to go to Xavier initially,
0: That's pretty good. So you get to Annapolis, and just just talk.
1: I I went to prep school, and then even after prep school, I had some offers. I had a little more exposure because I went to prep school in Washington D.C., Columbia.
0: That's good that's really good so did you did you enjoy your time playing football there at the Naval Academy and progressing
1: well we, we weren't very good I mean we were killed this was Vietnam and there weren't a lot of people dying to get into the Naval Academy and uh, but you know I went back and uh, Kenny let me talk to the team of Navy two springs ago when I finally retired I was up there for spring practice and as um, I said to him you know, You know, sometimes living at this place and being in that hall isn't the best place to be. And it's not an enjoyable place to be. But I can guarantee you this, every day you're out of it and graduate from here, it gets better and better and better. So it's a great place to be
0: from, and sometimes it's not real attractive when you're there. No question about it. And then I don't know if a lot of people realize, you know, after you start playing – you spent nine years uh, you know, in the reserves, uh, traveling California, Japan, rose to the rank of Marine Corps Reserve. Just talk about that time period, really before you got even into coaching.
1: Well, you know, I uh, left, uh, once you graduate, they uh, keep about six to nine ensigns and second lieutenants to help coach the fleet team. So it's just temporary additional duty. So I stayed there. Then I went to Quantico, went through the basic school for a year, i uh, went out to california for two years i was in iwakuni japan um for a year overseas and and at that point i had orders back to cherry point north carolina and uh, Bo coppage who was the ad at, at navy at those days um, there was always a marine officer assigned to the staff the marines have jealously guarded this position uh, to be assigned at the staff at the academy and called and said Terry Murray was due to, to rotate out Would I like to come back and take that job. And then I was single and, and uh, was just about to make captain And you know, Cherry Point, North Carolina, or Annapolis, Maryland. That was about a two-second decision. I said, sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll start swimming the Pacific tomorrow to get back to Annapolis. So I came back and uh, started working for George Welsh um, for a year, and I was like the head JV coach, I was the recruiting coordinator, I was the liaison to Bancroft Hall from the football program, and then he made me a position coach the next year, made me a tackle tight end coach, and so I started coaching as a Marine in 1979, I got out of the active uh, service, Um, I married my wife Jennifer who was a Navy nurse, and, and she actually, after when we got married, she was actually transferred down to Portsmouth Naval Hospital, so we're living apart. Um, I ended up getting out of the Marine Corps. Uh, George said he would like to hire me, but that wasn't something that they do at the Naval Academy in those days. It wasn't. You were supposed to be career military, not get out of the the Marine Corps and go into coaching football. So it took about two weeks for them. to. I went out and interviewed different uh, companies and, and professions, and two weeks later, he said, well, it's been approved. I can hire you. So at that point, I decided I'd rather uh, coach than work for a living.
0: Yeah, no question about it. And I was reading an article. You're still very close, though, with your naval friends. You guys play golf every couple of years in Scotland. You know, and, and uh, in fact, I don't know if a lot of people realize, but one of your classmates uh, was. I hope I pronounce his name right. Charles Burlingham the third was a, a pilot on that American flight 77 into the Pentagon. So just can you just talk about that experience and you know remaining close with your friends from the Naval Academy?
1: Well, you know, one thing about the Naval Academy is, is you come from all over the country and and, and is over the world because they have international students too. But then you, you go out to your specific professions within the military and then you, because you come from so far different places, a lot of times you go back there. So it, it's pretty difficult to stay in touch, but we had really a good group of guys. And, and what happened is uh, when I was at D.C., we our first game, we had an open week. And it was Tuesday, I believe, when 9-11 happened. Yes. And uh, the following week, we were going to Navy to play Navy. And that was my 30th reunion. And I had never um, stayed ever after a f- the football game. I always traveled with the team. But I said to my wife, I said, we're going to stay after the game, and we'll just fly back Sunday morning. I can get back in time to do the stuff I need to do. Um starting Sunday for the football team and for our next game, and actually uh it was chick burling game was the was the guy his wife showed up at the reunion she was at the the uh reunion ten after the game, which I thought was unbelievable, but she uh was there wow, and a lot of the guys that I played with there's a, probably about eight to ten of us. And, you know, at that point in life, all our kids were in college or out and we were moving on. we decided that we would start to get together uh, every other year and take a trip to Europe golfing. And so I think we spent three times in Ireland, a couple of times in Scotland, been to Spain, been to Portugal. And, uh, you know, we're a little too old right now. We didn't do it. In fact, I just got back from a trip to Russia with two of those guys and their wives Um we we did a uh, waterways of the czars cruise here for about eighteen days and then back about four days now from that. So, wow. You know we stay in touch. That core group and uh, try to get together at least once a year as a group. And uh, other than say a football weekend in Annapolis, which they've been able to do, and I haven't been able to do because of my profession. But um, you know, they see each other, but I, I get to see them. You know, sometimes once, two, three times a year, we try to
0: get together somewhere. Very important. That's great. Let's transition now to your time at UVA. Just talk about George Welch and uh, how, what you learned from him as you progress up the coaching ranks.
1: Well, One thing I learned about George was is, is his singular focus on becoming a better football team and how he's going to make his football team better and the people around him. Um, even from the start at the Naval Academy, he always had great coaches and and surrounded himself with people that were really good at making decisions. He had a great feel for a lot of things on the football field, and he challenged us, and he challenged me specifically. And I took it as challenge every day to try to be a better football coach than him. Now I never got there, but I mean that was my goal. Is you know that was like the standard bear. You know he remembered things from I don't know twenty five years ago, a play in the second quarter at two nineteen. Uh, left to go in the halves against somebody and i'm going holy cow so you know just to the reservoir of knowledge that he had the assistance and and the people that he surrounded himself with um always impressed me and you know singular focus was on how to get the football team better and how to play better and to be better people so um you know he had that focus he's a winning his coach he was the winningest coach in Naval Academy history. He is the winningest coach in University of Virginia football history, and uh, he's a Hall of Fame coach where he where he deserves to be.
0: Did that time at Virginia and now you know you go from the Naval Academy to the ACC. What was that adjustment like? Now coaching in the ACC uh, during you know during the eighties.
1: Well, you know once I committed to be a coach you know, that the goal was to be a head football coach. And I knew that being a Naval Academy graduate, I couldn't stay at Navy my whole career and coach without going to, you know, a regular NCAA school to understand the scholarships and, and league play and all those things. So, you know, the move to Virginia was really good for me. I grew at Virginia. He let me grow. I was a tackle tight end coach. Then I was the whole line coach. And I was the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Then I went back to offensive coordinator line coach. So uh, he gave me a lot of responsibility, a lot of accountability, and let me run with it. And, you know, I'd make some mistakes. and, and But then, you know, he was always there to, to, to try to you know, help out and say, well, you know, think about doing it this way. Or sometimes he wasn't even that diplomatic. He'd say, we we're going to do it this way. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, uh, it, it was a good learning experience for me and gave me, Uh, the opportunity that if someday I would be able to run my own football program, I'd have the chance to be successful.
0: Well, Tom, that's a great transition. We enter now. You fast forward to the mid-90s. Actually, 1996 exactly. uh, December 13th of that year, you're named the 32nd head football coach at Boston College. Just talk about how did that come about, who reached out for you, and what was the interview process like uh, coming to Chestnut Hill?
1: Well, we played uh, at Virginia, we played in the CarQuest Bowl against Boston College, um, probably three years prior to that. I can't remember exact number of years. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were at a cocktail party one night and had the occasion to speak with Father Monin. And, you know, just the whole Boston College operation, I think I sit to my wife after that trip, I said, that, that would really be a great place. To be the head football coach at, Um, you know, being a Jesuit high school guy and and just what the Jesuits are for, the men for others, men and women's for others at Boston College. And uh, so when the opportunity arose, um, I ended up getting an interview and went up and interviewed with Chet Glatchuk and and Leo Sullivan and got to meet Father Leahy. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I was talking to Jim Copeland, who was the athletic director at SMU okay, and it came down the last week uh, that week that uh, Copeland had offered me the job on Wednesday I, I said well you know I've, I've got this thing with Boston College can I ask them for to give me a read one way or another he said well I'll give you the Friday noon and I called uh, back up to Leo Sullivan I said listen you know I'm, I'm going to be a head coach by this weekend Uh I've got the opportunity to go to SMU, and this is no pressure on you at Boston College. It's just that, you know, I've got an offer out there, and because this thing had been going on for quite a while, the interview process. And so they called about 10 o'clock on Friday morning and offered me the job. And uh, so I took a
0: job on Friday the 13th. (laughs) So if they didn't call you by 12 noon, you would have been at SMU, basically. I would have been, yes. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And, you know, it's funny, Chuck Kladschuk, it goes full circle. He's now the AD at the uh, at Navy. So it's amazing. The, yeah, well, he was laughing. He hired me again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're now the color commentator, uh, by the way, for the, this coming season at Navy. So you're right, it comes full circle. Right, right. Let's go. Uh, because, you
1: know, it's a really a good thing for me, too.
0: Yeah, let, let's just go back, though, to those early years at BC. I'm interested, you know, BC coming off the time, we all, we heard about the gambling scandal as well. What were those early years like recruiting-wise? And did you, Had you, I guess, what did you know about BC, the football program, before you arrived? And w- were there any adjustments that you made when you first got there?
1: Well, everybody knew about Boston College, because, Floody, I can remember... I was recruiting in Virginia Beach and my dad was with me. We were down watching the high school game and we were actually in an Irish pub having dinner before we went to the game and watched the Hail Mary. Uh, Hail Mary Pass. So, you know, B.C. had become somewhat of a brand name then. And, you know, it wasn't so much the gambling scandal, but I was the fourth head coach in the 90s and this was 96. So it was the turnover, the constant turnover of people on the program that I think that's where you get yourself into, into problems, especially in recruiting and, and discipline within the team because there's no real structure for them because it changes, you know, if you're the fourth guy in 96. So, um, you know, what I did when I came in there, in the first recruiting uh, dinner that we had, I, I said we were going to establish these three goals for this program. We were going to be champions in the classroom, we were going to be champions in the community and then we would be champions on the football field. And I went in that order because
0: moment or or a recruit in those first couple years that kind of like set the ball rolling for you in your mind? Was there a special recruit out there that said, you know, right this is how we can start the foundation to turn this around?
1: There were some lingering things going on around this football team one way or another, as you might expect from what happened as it went down. And, and he was a strength, you know, both the hasslebacks, But, you know, Matt was my quarterback first. And then Timmy, I mean, you talk about quality kids and kids that can be leadership and try to control the locker room and get things going. You know that great player, Damian Woody. You know he's got a couple Super Bowl rings. So there were some good players and some really good kids there. They're just we just didn't have enough. And you know that was what we had to do was fill in the rest of the football team from there.
0: And Mike Cloud, I remember early on a lot of good. Mike was a great back, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that's and then the recruiting. You know what what was the elevator pitch that you gave? I'm interested. Gave a kid. In the mid '90s, late '90s, to come to Boston College because the recruiting picked up well, nicely for you. The, the rivals' recruiting classes went up at each year. What what was the pitch you said in those early years to get kids to come to Chestnut Hill? Well,
1: the opportunity to come and play right away and to help us win. You know, certainly how you sold the education. And you know, you, yeah, I remember in the interview process, one of the things that I was asked is, I guess, a lot of coaches felt that that they were interviewing, that the education and the high academic standards and admission standards were a negative as far as Boston College. And I said, no, we need to embrace it. I mean, i would come from Virginia uh, and coached at the Naval Academy. Two schools where academic uh, admission requirements were high and they had great academics. You know, we have to use that as a positive. And I think we use that as a positive, the opportunity to play in Boston, to play in a mega- uh, media market to be in a, a league at those days. The East, the, the Big East was a pretty good league with Miami and Virginia Tech and some of those schools in there. So, you know, we we just started chipping away and kept chipping away and chipping away and, and going back. Uh, you know, I think continuity on the staff. We changed our staff after the second year and, and then we became pretty consistent, um, from that point on. And, you know, that's important in recruiting when you go back to the same high school in the same areas and, and what we did is you know a lot of schools will say that you know their state is their their main recruiting area. Um, what, what we decided to do is, is say other than Notre Dame we're the only Catholic college playing at the highest level so we made Catholic high schools east of the Mississippi our primary recruiting area. We wanted to, to find as many good Catholic high school kids because they would understand the culture at Boston College. They would understand the academics and what was needed to, uh, to, to get through school. And there's a lot of good football players out there that are playing at Catholic high schools.
0: Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including... State Street Bank, Image Pharma and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. I look back at your tenure, I think 1999 was the the, the first big year, 8 and 3 wins over uh, Syracuse West Virginia and Notre Dame, that obviously the big one against Notre Dame. I was reading an article when you told your father after the Notre Dame win that he could die a happy man now after that N D win with B C. Just talk about that ninety nine season really got things going.
1: Well, you know, you get to a point in a program where you can't you, you, you have to quit building and start producing. And so I think that was a year that you know, we, we had to quit talking about well, as we mature and grow up. I mean we had to we had to grow up and be that way and you know, my father was, was never a Notre Dame. fan he was probably as far from it as anybody could be and you know all those years at navy we took our lumps i lost as a player i lost as a coach all the time to notre dame and uh so when i came out he was smiling from year to year and i said that to him and he said i will i'll die a happy man now so he didn't know we were just getting started
0: yeah no question about it those notre dame wins are big i look at oh two uh, the fourteen-seven win in South Bend—the green jerseys—that must stick out to you as one of the career highlights.
1: Well, you know, I, I said to the team, you know, we came uh, out and they—they they didn't come out in the green jerseys; they were wearing the blue jerseys. And the, you know, it's a beautiful band in South Bend, and all of a sudden, game time, they come out in the green, and, and so I got a team together. I said, well, we've obviously made it. Now, they respect us now, so let's go win. I think that was the Josh Ott game, right? Yes, respect correct. The ball and stuff. So, um, yeah, no, that, that, that's when we knew that we had a rivalry going.
0: And for me growing up, I was in high school in 2001. I watched that Miami game. And, you know, B, many fans forget BC gave Miami the biggest scare that year as an undefeated you know, team with Ed Reed in that return but what are your thoughts from that game coach early on in your career ABC National TV game
1: well you know we missed a field goal earlier in the game that and this isn't I'm not putting anything on McInerney. I think he was a field goal kicker there you know sometimes you miss field goals but what happened is when we got back down there we had to score a touchdown instead of just kicking a field goal for the win and uh, you know stuff happens that way and so you know brian made a throw it it, how about it hits off the back of a guy's leg bounces up in the air and then you know all around but you know that was a that was a big day that you know we had a chance to make make a statement game and we just came up just a little bit short that would have been a great one to win but you know it's it's football well, bounces crazy.
0: Yeah, and he, that makes it gets me thinking. We talk about the great wins, the tough losses. What's what what lingers with you more? Tough loss as a coach, or a big time win in the post game situation? Well, I think the loss always hurts more. Really, because you know, you
1: you know what 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 could have been this way or another. You know, by the time you win, you know, a lot of those things get overlooked. You know, the the things that well, this could. You know, coaches don't overlook them the next day, but, you know, right away they're kind of swept under the table. But, you know, they're magnified when you lose. And, uh, you know, we had some tough losses, but we had some really good wins and a chance to play a lot of great football.
0: Yeah, no question about it. And then we entered the time where you transitioned from the Big East to the ACC, 2004-2005. Just give us your, your your thoughts of that oppression and, and the transitioning from the two conferences. What you saw uh, were the two differences. Well, I I think the thing was the uh, the Big East
1: was a much more physical conference in those days. Um, you know, the ACC wasn't as, they were more speed-oriented and, and wide open and throwing the ball and things like that, but we're still, you know, pounding the ball away in the Big East. And the only thing that I remember is, is just the animosity towards Boston College when this whole thing went down and You know, it was very difficult when they accepted Virginia Tech and Miami and then didn't take Boston College. And, and, you know, we were kind of left out there to hang out there. And, you know, I think my last year in the Big East, every team that we played had a uh, Big East team had an open date before us. And, you know, in order to give them an extra opportunity to beat us, and we actually – I think we're co-champs. You know, went through the, the year and ended up being co-champs.
0: But um, Yeah, 2004. The, opponent,
1: yep. the ACC is a, uh, you know, I still think it was a good move for Boston College. It's, it's a great conference, a great academic conference. Uh, and, and, you know, they just need to get back here.
0: That time period also is when Matt Ryan comes to the heights. Just give our fans the, the background on recruiting Matt, the Super Bowl, and I mean, excuse me, NFL MVP this year. Um, you know, just talk about Matt Ryan. And did you see him emerging as a quarterback? He would be when he arrived at the heights. Um,
1: Jason Swetsen did a great job of recruiting Matt. He was the guy that was responsible for that that area of Pennsylvania, and you know that. As I spoke about before, that's, you know, one of those things that when you continue to go back and, in the same area with the same people, they get to know a lot of people now. It helped that Matt's uncle was Doug Flutie's backup, so there was a little bit there to B.C., but, you know, when he threw the ball, Dana really liked him. Dana Bible was coached more guys, quarterbacks in the Super Bowl than I think anybody. Um, really loved the way he threw the football, and then once you got to know Matt, you got to know what kind of competitor he was. I don't think anybody can predict the success and say, you know, back there as a junior, senior in high school, that you're going to be an NFL uh, MVP player and, and be in the Super Bowl the way he was. But with the characteristics that he had and his, the ability that he has, you can always
0: say, well, you're going to have a chance. Yes, yeah, no, no question about it. And did when did it kind of – was there a moment for you on the field when he was at BC where it kind of clicked and was like, "Wow, this guy is a special player"?
1: Um, there, there's probably many of them. I mean, sometimes he would make some throws and do some things, and and uh, you just kind of look at each other and go, "Wow, that that's that's pretty special." So you know, he, he did that a lot. So it wasn't like it was a you know there was any one moment. You know, I still go back to the team and the confidence they had in him as is. is when we were heading out to play Notre Dame, we had a rally, and the hockey team was with us at the rally at B.C. Because they were going out to play, too, and they had to have a, a foul-shooting contest between the football and uh, team and the hockey team. And, and so they, they wanted a, somebody to volunteer, and all the kids go, Matty Ice, but he won't miss. And he didn't. He nailed it. So you you, know, you could tell even early on that, that he had a lot of great confidence in himself and in the ability to to do what he
0: would, do. What he does. Tough guy too. I, the moment for me is that hit he took down in Clemson um, yeah. when he was speared, and then basically got right back and led your team to overtime win in that first year in the ACC. For me, that's kind of like the wow moment.
1: Yeah. I can't remember what he said. He, said, he came over he said, "Wow, that was a hit." You know, is <laughs> <laughs> he like that when he came over? To, and I think the toughest thing he did is is. Um, he had a high ankle sprain against Central Michigan when we opened out there, when Brian Kelly was there. And he came back, and in the Virginia Tech game, at, I think it was a Thursday night game, um, when he broke his metatarsal, his rolling to the right and threw the ball and his foot snapped. And so they took him off, and Diane English took him in. They x-rayed him, and he came up with a break. And, and I can remember after the game going in, and she's saying he's got a broken foot. And I thought, oh, wow, that's you know that's the end of this year. And so she's, he's on the table, and his dad's there, and I'm there, and Steve Bushey and Diane English, our uh, team physician and team uh, trainer, were there. And she says, well, it, it's far enough back on the bone that you can't do any more harm. So if you can gut it out, I'll let you play in pain as long as we monitor it and we put you in a special cast and boot. And he just looked at her and said, okay, I'm playing. Got off the table and walked in and took a shower.
0: Yeah, that's right. And how many games did he, played he play with it? How many games that did he play it?
1: was the fifth game of the year. It was early in October or end of September, so he played a good two months. I think it almost healed on its own during the season.
0: Yeah, no question about it. Now, so then we come up to 2006, in December of that year, you decide to go to NC State. Just go take us back to that thought process. That must have been tough for you because you look at the the recruits, the, all the, the rankings – those high recruiting years you had of you know 2004 2005, those kids were getting older, and you must have known that 2007 BC team was going to be a good team.
1: Yeah, we did, and they had a lot of good players. But you know, if you came to the fact that I was there for ten years, um, you know, the first year that I ever interviewed for a job, Kevin White was the AD at uh, Maine, and I went up and interviewed at Maine, and. and when I sat down with the um, the president, I asked him how long he was going to be at Maine. And he said, well, I think you always ought to be somewhere for five years. And then after about ten years, you ought to think about leaving and let somebody else take over. Because so five years will take you that long to implement your programs. And then after ten years, they probably need new blood and new programs to go. And, and so it, it, at that point, um I was looking, and if ever there was a time to go, this would have been it because we had a great team. And, and you know, the last thing I want somebody to say, oh, oh, he bailed on us when there was no players left. And so, you know, we decided to make the move, come back down to the south. Uh, had never been to, in the state coach in the state of North Carolina, so I decided to come down to North Carolina State and uh, be the head coach there.
0: You know, what's interesting about that is, too, you, you joined a team – not only the same conference, but in the same division as Boston College. And I remember; I think it was either week two or week three of your first year. You came back up to the heights. Uh, to, what was that like? That Got crushed. Got crushed. Yeah.
1: yeah, No, those kids. That wasn't very well thought through on my part. Obviously, I, I mean, to do that again, I certainly wouldn't have gone to a school on the same side of the conference that we had to play every year. But you know, a lot of those kids were angry at me, and I can understand you know why they were angry, and then. They had the much better football team at that that time than we did at NC State.
0: It did. I was. I'm always interested. Was Gene D'Flippo was he aware of the, of the NC State move? And I assumed he he, appro- you, he approved of it, right? When you went there.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I told him that, that I you know anytime anybody had, had contacted me throughout the years, I always let him know. So yeah, I mean, he was aware that other teams had called in the past
0: and uh, expressed interest in me. That's interesting too. What, so when you get to NC State, what did you were there any differences between BC and NC State that first hit you as a first impression uh, between when you coached those two different locations?
1: Yeah, the difference is NC State is a massive state school. Um, you know, about three or four times the size of a Boston college and you know, we were in Raleigh, we were at the state capitol, and being the state institution, there, there was just the size and scope of everything as compared to the, you know, nice, tight knit Boston College community there in Chestnut Hill. That was the biggest difference.
0: And was, re- was recruiting, what, how did your recruiting philosophy change, I guess? Obviously, you're not focusing so much well, on Catholic you had schools. You to
1: go more to, you know, North Carolina. You had to work from North Carolina State, both north and south. Um, to get players, and, and you know, no longer was the church tie or the 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 Catholic tie still available. Uh, it, it was at NC State we could recruit Catholic schools, but that wasn't what we considered our primary area. It would have to be the schools in the state, our state.
0: No question about it. You had some success as well: forty and thirty-five overall, nine and four, two thousand ten, eight and five in two thousand eleven many um, people forget too Russell Wilson went to NC State first couple of years just talk about Russell Wilson does, how did he compare in college with you in terms of uh, like Matt Ryan so you coach both those guys
1: yeah well, he, he's an entirely different quarterback than Matt um, you know Russell initially started out using his legs where it was, was his greatest strength uh, he had greatest capability in throwing and he's become a much better passer as time's gone on so um you know, and then, we, and then even after Russell, we had Mike Glennon, who's you know, supposedly the starting quarterback at uh, the Chicago Bears. So, you know, we, we were fortunate in those years that we had some three really good quarterbacks um, for our football teams, both, you know, from that. But if you look back, both Hasselback boys ended up starting in the NFL. Brian St. Pierre started in the NFL you got matt ryan that started you've got uh russell wilson and you've got mike Glenn and all have started nfl games. so one of the things we've been blessed with throughout our career is good quarterbacks
0: and you mentioned it early you got to give credit to dana bible who obviously recruited and coached those guys who was with you at bc and nc state and uh who coached all those guys yeah i mean he's a great coach
1: and really does a great job and I think the best job he does is evaluating them as high school kids. And he used to always say, you know, I can't make the quarterback. You know, don't tell me this guy can get better here or there. He said, that doesn't happen. He said, I can help decision-making, but they have to have X amount of talent to be able to perform at this level. And he was great at picking out those kids that had that talent.
0: Just a last couple of questions, Coach. You joined UVA for a couple of years, and uh, then you retired as well. Just just talk about what if fans don't realize, uh, the difficulties of being a head coach that they don't see behind the scenes. As you coach for many years as a head coach, give us a behind-the-scenes look of how difficult it is to be a Power 5 a major head coach.
1: Well, I... I... I don't think what they understand is you're not only the head football coach, but you know, you're know you running an organization, and not just the 85 scholarship players. You've got X amount of coaches. You've got X amount of graduate assistant coaches. You have staff, not only whether it is in the equipment room, whether it's in the training room, whether it's in the video room, whether it's, room, whether it's office personnel, but there's a lot of different. You manage an empire is what you do. And at the same time, you have to be a communicator. You have to, to do a lot of work on, as we're doing here in podcast uh, radio, TV, have a TV show, uh, a lot of different things, fundraising. You go out on speaking engagements. And, and uh, you know, I used to call it the pulled pork circuit at NC State because they'd always sell and I loved it the pulled pork and the, the slaw and everything. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of things that the scene that, that gets that product on the field
0: that got me thinking too you lived in Raleigh lived in Boston uh, did, did you enjoy living up in the northeast as well I know you love the, love the south now uh, but did you enjoy living in Boston the culture up here Coach, lastly, how you like in retirement? I know you're getting involved with the Navy as a color analyst this year. Uh, Just give BC fans a look at what you're up to now in retirement.
1: Opportunity to go to all the Navy football games and to be part of the Navy football program, which we left in 1982. I guess was a 1981 Army-Navy game was the last time I coached for Navy or worked for Navy. So you know, come full cycle, get to go back and and um, I'm really looking forward to this year. You know, Kenny Newmont, Newmont Nuamatololo. I've with his name
0: all the time. <laughs> you got to learn that one now too. Doing the radio. <laughs> yeah.
1: Nuatamolo. Nuatamolo. I got it. It is doing a great job, and uh, you know what they've done the last two years. The first two years in that conference is really spectacular. So it's going to get harder each and every year because people kind of catch up. But um, you know, I look forward to, to traveling. We go to play Lane Kiffin on the first of September on the Friday night here in a couple of weeks. So. Uh, I look forward to the season getting underway and get
0: started. And lastly, Coach, what do you say to the BC fans? You are the all-time winningest coach at Boston College. What do you say to the fans now and the coaching staff as BC tries to get back to the level of where you were when you were coaching uh, the Heights? Any final parting words to the BC fans?
1: Yeah, you, you have to just hang in there. I mean, you know, things don't happen overnight. BC's a developmental program. Uh, you know, you're going to have to get guys in there, and our strength was when those guys – uh, a lot of them grew up, and they were were fifth year guys, fourth year guys, playing and starting and playing. You know, my first game as a head coach, I ran out against Temple in Philadelphia and lost, and thought, "Holy cow, nobody's supposed to lose to Temple or Boston College." Then the next week, we beat West Virginia, and we're one and one. And you kind of like the, everybody probably thought we'd be one and one, but not the way we got there. So yeah, yep. There's a there's a long way to go, and a lot of different ways to, to make this thing happen. But the most consistent way is, just, uh, you know, I think Coach Adazio has a plan in place. He's got to stick to his plan. He's got good assistant coaches. And, and, you know, as soon as they get, it looks to me like they need just a guy to pull the trigger. They need a little bit better quarterback
0: play and that uh, they'll be fine. You got me thinking as you're reminiscing, is there one singular most proud moment you have at Boston College, a game or anything looking back at your 10 years there at BC? No, I think the, 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 the greatest part is
1: that, as I said to my, my two children, Danny and Bridget, the, the youngest two, that they were the only class never to lose to Notre Dame
0: for years. Wow. That was their graduation present. <laughs> That's a good gift. You're right. And uh, it's a great segue as Notre Dame comes to BC this year, week three, September 16th. Well, Coach, I can't thank you enough. A really fun time to reminisce and uh, your coaching career. Congratulations on a great 40 years, by the way. And you're still staying very active with Navy. And uh, best of luck this year. And thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. All right, Mike. I appreciate it. Com. Well, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. And thanks so much to Tom O'Brien for joining us on the Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. This is Mike Galtieri reminding you, too, as well. If you're a B.C. football fan, you should be a member of the largest fan club on the Boston College campus, the Boston College Gridiron Club. Just go to bcfootballgridiron.com for more details and to sign up. All right, we'll be back once again next week. Thanks so much for listening. This is Mike Galtieri signing off.